Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. We're your hosts, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we are reviewing an article by Les McGuire, a financial thought leader who died in 2006, but his ideas that were extremely bold and powerful have really continued to live on and influence us tremendously. He was one of those very inspiring and noble humans that I tremendously admire and respect. So the title of this article is The Economic Value of Certainty, and he wrote it way back in 2003 and it's still completely relevant today. Bruce, welcome to the show this morning. Rachel, it's, um, this, is a, this is going to be an interesting podcast, and, and I say that because I think what we're trying to really get into is what people's actual visions or objectives about life in general and their thought processes are rather than um, really trying to follow any kind of um, uh, exact statistics or um, thoughts about a particular topic, we're going to talk about really your thoughts and human emotions in general. Um, Many people look at this as to say, you know, um, when he says the economic value of certainty, it's almost when I, after I read the article and I, and uh, I know, I don't, didn't know less to begin with, but I knew some of the people that were either his business partners or his disciples. And even though the article is titled The Economic Value of Certainty, I think what he really is bringing out is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, and that's, and that's okay. So I think that's, as, as our listeners are listening to this uh, part of the podcast, it may seem like that uh, we're kind of, we, we're not taking a stand on anything, but I think really because there's so many variables in life, that's why it seems like that. So the, the economic value of certainty is important but it, it comes into a world that is very uncertain. And that's what makes it so um, interesting to talk about. Oh, absolutely. It's very interesting how you kind of um, pitted those two ideas against each other in a way that our world is uncertain. Therefore, let's get as much certainty as possible so that we can navigate that uncertain world. I mean, it's kind of a, a very complex paradigm or idea that we're even talking about here. So let's set the stage a little bit. Here's why we're talking about this article. Now, if we in the financial services world, start by having a conversation about financial products and we tell you all the things that they can do and all the benefits and all the features of those those financial products, we're really talking about mechanics. And that's really not very interesting until you know where you're going, what your strategy is, what are the principles and what you're ultimately trying to accomplish, really your end goal or the bigger picture of your entire life. And so Even if we talk about financial objectives, the challenge with that is that sometimes our stated objective is not big enough to see our entire life. I mean, we're not God. We're not looking down and seeing the trajectory of our entire life, seeing the end before we get there. We're not seeing every impact of our decisions, and we're not seeing all of the ramifications of everything that we do in our life. So how do we think about our financial lives in a way that gets the best results? if we can't really see the end and we're not just looking about the mechanics of financial products. So today's conversation will help you think differently and expand your mind about your financial objectives and what you want out of your life 
so that you can build that life and business you love. So real quick, where does this fit into the cash flow system? Well, we're talking about your mindset, which is part of the foundation of your cash flow system. The way that you think allows you to put this whole thing into practice in your life. It allows you to keep as much of your money as possible, protect that, and then use that to increase your income and accelerate time and money freedom. So again, we're talking about your mindset in the first phase. So let's dive in. Let's talk about this article and then we're going to also share how it relates to the work that we do and the conversations that we've had in just a big picture perspective of financial goals and what our end results are that we want to have in our life. So Bruce, I'll kind of start off by just saying the, the main premise of this article really was this idea that we need to first talk about philosophy before we talk about products. This is not a product-based article. Now, Les McGuire was a proponent of whole life insurance, and you'll hear that as we talk through the article. Um, he was, as well, a thought leader in the financial services industry, specifically in terms of helping people have maximum control. So the entire premise of the article is that we want to understand the philosophy of why we're making decisions, not just the product. Now, most of the stated objectives of certain plans and underlying philosophies, he says they actually violate the core principles of basic economics. Bruce, do you want to comment on that? Well, I think one of the things I'd, I'd like to just quickly read a part of this that he says, from my observations of the financial services industry, it seems to me that most of the training, education, profession, professionals receive is in product and company knowledge, basic tax law, historical performance of various assets, and sales skills. Why these skills are absolutely essential for any advisor to understand, they leave professionals deficient in the skills and knowledge necessary to perform real economic analysis. A closer look at some common methodologies when overlaid by discussion of economic principles should help identify flaws and give clarity to alternative approaches which conform much more closely with sound philosophies. Now, I think what he is trying to say, and, I, and, and you know, I've been in this industry since the late 80s in some form or another, and I've owned businesses, so I understand basic economic uh, analysis, is that in the financial services industry, in order to try to get people into the industry, we simply teach them about the products. We, we teach them about why the companies are really uh, strong. We teach them about some taxes. And we teach them about what has happened in the history. And, it's, and it's, um, it's kind of made fun of a lot of times, but we always say that past performance does not guarantee future results. You have to put that on every disclosure if you're securities um, mm -hmm. uh, license. Right. And, what's, and what's interesting about that is we're even admitting as an industry that we cannot predict the future. And yet every time you sit down with a person, they want you to predict the future. Mm -hmm. and, and so what real economic analysis would, would be and what Garrett Gunderson, one of Les's business partners, uh, I, I, I've, I've often heard say, say is that you really have to understand not only the big picture of how the business cycle works, the, the boom and bust cycle of the business world or the economy in general, but you also have to understand is how you fit into it, whether you're a producer or a consumer within that. And mm -hmm. what we tout with everybody is 
how can we be a producer so that we control our own destiny and we don't even worry so much about those uh, past economic performance or the past tax, ta past tax laws or current tax laws and the historical mm -hmm. performance. Um, yeah, Bruce, might, I like, I like might, that you bring that up. Go ahead. No, no, this, I'm just going to say this might be the core of what we're going to be talking today. I absolutely agree. And it's interesting because when you think about being a producer, you're thinking about how do I create in the world, not just how do I consume financial resources and how do I produce more income by following the number one principle of wealth creation, which is that dollars follow value. So how can I create more value? And when you're thinking from that mindset, you become you take on more of an abundance perspective because now there's no limited resources. There's no limited amount of potential for you to produce. But what is really interesting is this abundance perspective goes hand in hand with what he talks about sound economics, where he talks about economics is actually the study of scarcity, scarce resources. And he says it's not just economic resources, but it's the resources of our time and our attention. Here he says time, effort, focus and attention, hope, faith, love, integrity, desire to contribute and excel, and willingness to take risk. So he's saying all of these things are limited, which we can also think of from an abundance perspective. Yes, we can create more of those resources, but at the same time, how do we make sure that we're using all of our resources, not just our financial resources, in the best way possible? And so he talks about that there can be costs, and we think of financial costs or economic costs or the dollar value of a cost. And that might be small, but what is the bigger picture? What is the cost on your time? What's the cost on your attention? What's the cost on your, your emotional resources? What's the cost in terms of your energy when you're making a specific decision? And it might be, I don't know, let's just even go super simple. We go to the store and you buy the thing that costs $5 as opposed to the, the same product that costs $90, well, then you're going to end up maybe probably having to replace it more. You're going to have to worry about it breaking. You're going to have to worry about, is this really what I actually needed? And that is going to cause you to spend more energy to go replace that item than had you just spent the higher cost to get the more valuable product. Hey, hey Rachel, can I interrupt just one second? My, yeah. gra my grandmother, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say what you just said by what my grandmother used to say, the more you spend on clothes, the less you spend on clothes. <laughs> and yes. I didn't understand that when I was younger. And as I got older and I started spending my, more, my own money on clothes, I started to understand it as she was talking about not only the quality that the clothes will last longer, but if you buy something that you really, really like, then you're you're actually going to get more use out of it, mm -hmm. and if you and if you wear things more often because you feel good about it or you really like them, then you don't have a a set of uh, a whole closet full of clothes that you bought a lot cheaper than those, but you never wear them. And right. <laughs> and so I think Which that then that um, that about. item that you don't like then is the drain on your emotional intelligence, even because you're not feeling as good about the way you're presenting yourself because of the clothes that you bought that you spent less money on, right? And I still violate this all the time. I have and I see it in my my closet. I'm like, I'm not going to wear that jacket anymore. And I remember my grandmother saying it, and it bothers me. And so now when I I, I don't always do it, but I try to remember what she says. The more you spend on clothes the less you spend on clothes. 
And so I think- I love that. And yeah. actually, I think you shared that on a podcast earlier. And Bruce, I'm going to tell you, you need to Marie Kondo your closet. No, just kidding. <laughs> but um, if it doesn't bring you joy, then you need to get rid of it. Right. So what he's talking about here is this idea that we can't just look at the economic cost of something. And so he- Les McGuire in this article is talking about your cost benefit analysis has to consider a lot more factors than what immediately meets the eye. So he says we need to look at not just the immediate cost of something, but we need to look at the short and long term consequences. And he calls that also the primary and secondary effects. And so we want to figure out what are we doing financially and how is that thing, that choice that we're making, whether it's how to spend our money, how to invest, how to save, what vehicle to put our savings in, any financial choice we make, what is the long-term consequence, the short and long-term consequence of that? And so he says we need to be concerned with these scarce resources at all times. What I think related to that is what I hear and I see with people that uh, either I... Um, my previous uh, clientele or the clients that we are now meeting that want to talk to us about the money advantage philosophy is people have a difficult time making a decision because they are looking at things because they're inundated by the financial services industry on a variety of things. Look at this rate of return. Mm -hmm. Look at this, uh, the fee structure, the commission structure. I don't know how anybody um, gets makes any decisions nowadays because they're hearing things about well you gotta you gotta pay attention to fees you gotta pay attention to commissions you gotta see if a person's a is a fiduciary and so what ends up happening is a person they they become frozen because they are they are taught that there is the right answer mm -hmm. and and so they don't make a decision um, I, I'm going to show a little bit of my age here but there was a, a songwriter, singer, Getty Lee, who said, um, if you choose to not decide, you still have made a choice. And some of our older listeners will recognize who that is. And I, I think about that all the time when I'm talking to people and they're trying to move forward in their economic certainty, you know, and the only thing that they really can do, in my opinion, is, is not make a decision. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are more regrets from not making a decision than there is from making a decision. Yeah, I agree. And Bruce, I think one of the reasons that people get frozen is by all of those constructs that are external to them. You just mentioned fees, commissions. These are all external things or those would be like the mechanics of how a particular financial product works. And certainly you can stay in that land for a long time and you can figure out all the mechanics and you can have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the financial products and how they work. But the real truth is that to have the best financial life, you need an internal guidance system. You need to have your decisions coming from inside of you and you need to understand what is your philosophy and what are you trying to create? And that's gonna be the most powerful propeller to helping you make ideal financial choices. And that's what this article is all about. It's all about helping you come back to what is the most important thing, not what are the mechanics of how something works, but what is the most important thing. And so as we say, or as he 
goes through in this article, he actually talks about, he said, most plans are designed to meet the stated needs and financial goals of the client. He said, while that is a worthy objective at first glance, it's actually a serious violation of basic economic philosophy. And what does he mean by that? Well, he's saying that none of us can possibly know exactly what we want and need. Now, that almost sounds contradictory because we spend, even in our practice, we spend a lot of time asking what the specific objectives and goals and what are you trying to accomplish? And we want to understand what you are trying to accomplish so that we can help line up your financial life to meet that. However, Bruce, I want to go here for a minute because we were talking a little bit before the show about if we set goals, we're always going to end up short-sighted because we don't actually know what we most need to create the most value in our lives. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Well, I, I may have talked about this in podcasts before, but uh, I, I don't know even where I got this. You know, sometimes I, I've been influenced by so many mentors and I read a lot and I think, I don't know where I got it, but so this isn't my ideas, the idea, but I believe that setting goals, goals are actually limiting. And, and I talked to Nelson Nash about this a lot where he talked about his arrival syndrome. And I think we have to fight the arrival syndrome all the time. Not only, mm -hmm. not only um, us as individuals, but also whether you want to call other bigger organizations, uh, corporations, government, I think they come to the arrival syndrome too. So goals are limiting because a lot of times when a person sets a goal, like I want to have my house paid off, let's just say that's one. And they get their, and then they get their house paid off, and then then they're like, okay, I'm set for life. I don't have to worry about anything else. So they're limiting their economic expansion or their control in that situation. Or if a person, a salesperson says, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars this year, and they do it in the first six months, and I've seen this over my career, then all of a sudden they're like, well, I made my goal. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cruise, you know, the next six months. So not only aren't you, ha are you not only are you not helping, this is what Garrett Gunderson says all the time, not only are you not helping yourself uh, in your own economic life, but you're not helping basic society when you just coast along. You want to become a mm -hmm. producer all the time, not just a consumer. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have work-life balance and, and that you shouldn't look at these things, but if you, if you just state some goals and then reach them, I think the arrival sy syndrome does set in for not only you, but corporations and for governments. Um, I think we all need to be looking at that. I agree. And I think, I think according to Les McGuire and according to what I think as well, and we've heard this in multiple, uh, from multiple angles, specifically in our area of financial services, specifically in, in this area of helping people with their maximum cash flow and maximum control, is that if we just look at a goal of saying, well, you know, I want to be able to pay off my house if I die early. And so this is, I need $200,000 of life insurance and that's my goal. If we set that as a goal, that's far less than what we could potentially have the possibility to create. And so here's what Les says in the article. It's a, he said, if we take his, meaning the clients or any of our answers at face value and design a strategy based on what they thought they wanted, would we have really helped them get what they want most out of life? So then he goes on to say, even the more advanced techniques such as Monte Carlo simulations, which certainly are more sophisticated and comprehensive in their methodology, are still limited in the probabilities gleaned from historical data. If we had a guarantee that history would repeat itself in all possibility, in all areas of possibility, then we would be fine using such approaches. But then he says, according to the science of scarcity, 
our only stated objective should be to achieve maximum utilization of all available resources with the highest degree of certainty possible. Now that's powerful. He says yes. the maximum utilization of all available resources. That means maximum use of our time, maximum use of our attention, maximum use of our money, maximum use of everything so that we can have the highest degree of certainty possible. He said our stated needs and goals are irrelevant when the object is, or the objective is maximization. So most people are limited by preconceptions and misinformation and they'll shoot for far less than their maximum potential if asked to state their needs and goals. And Bruce, that's exactly what you were just talking about. I mean, if we say, I want to make $100,000 in the next six months, and then you get there, you have that arrival syndrome, you coast and you stop, or you say, hey, I want to get a million dollars in my qualified plan by the time I hit retirement at 65, and I get close to that, and now I'm just going to coast through the rest of my life. Instead of looking at that, what is the goal? How can we say, what is the maximum? What is the most that we can possibly create? What's the maximum utilization of all of our resources? How can we get the most out of our money and most out of our time and most out of our life. Yeah, I'm going to try to tie two things in here from my experience is that, you know, there's, there's always a talk about income wealth gap. And, you know, we could argue whether there's always been a wealth gap in society. Um, and one of the reasons there's always been a wealth gap in society is uh, that people that are around wealth tend to look at things at, at a maximum level. And mm -hmm. so they just want to continue to try to maximize all their resources, including their emotional resources, their intellectual resources, their, their monetary resources, so on and so forth. And then you have people that are not around that model. And so their maximum is really in a scarcity level. Well, I'm just trying to get by today. Or I'm just trying to get by this week. That's my goal. You know, instead of they don't even, they, they're not even exposed to uh, this idea that wealth is unlimited. Um, oh, that's powerful. Yeah, and I was actually involved with this when I was in education with a program called Aim High, where, where there is economic research that shows that there are people that live in certain cities that never get out of a 10, a 10 square block area in their lifetime, so they don't even know that there are other things to maximize wow. resources. Wow. And then I was exposed not too long ago, about a year ago, to somebody that came into our office and we were talking about the economic boom and bust cycle because, you know, when we talk about real estate here um, on the show, and they said that the United States, a lot of people think, well, the United States is, is a leader in GDP across the world because we have freedoms. And we have this idea that people came to this, to this country and they were looking for a better life and so they work harder. We have this whole thing about, you know, people in the United States are made fun of by European people because we don't enjoy life. We just work, work, work. And that's one of the reasons we have this huge GDP. And he took a di different perspective on this. And this is about what we're talking about, maximizing your resources, is that the United States, just the United States itself, the geo the geological uh, positioning of the mountains, of the rivers, of the, the fact that we have coastlines all the way down the East Coast, through the Gulf of Mexico, uh, all the way to the West Coast, that it's, it's going to be impossible for us not to be successful in the boom and bust cycle throughout the global economy because our rivers all run 
from the east in the Rocky Mountains to the main Mississippi River so we can we can transfer goods and services very easily to the Gulf of Mexico and then out to the world. And then the West Coast actually can, can uh, transport and import goods and services from, from the Far East. And our West Coast can transfer goods and services to the European nations hmm. and developing nations. So that the, and then we have, we have a, a similar thought uh, 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 country above us in Canada that uh, also supports us. And then Mexico, even though we've had some problems with Mexico, he also talks about the labor that we get from, from Mexico, people trying to have better lives for us. So his whole thing is that we were ma- we're, we're always going to be able to maximize our resources. And I, and I think that is related to what we're talking about. If we just said, oh, well, United States is, we got to worry about, and, and, and what he was saying is, you know, people worry about real estate actually plummeting again. And he says, yeah, that's possible, but it won't stay down continuously because it will be able to be supported by GDP um, production of the United States simply because of how we set in our world, our coast, our mountains, our rivers, um, and our proximity to Canada and Mexico. And I, I found it to be a fascinating uh, perspective on maximizing resources. Bruce, that is very fascinating. I've never heard anything like that before. And I'm, I'm like sitting here trying to absorb everything that you're sharing because I think that's just, I mean, it's profound. It, and it makes me think about how can we then put more people in a position of being exposed to people who maximize their wealth and I think that's one of the great advantages of having a podcast environment where you might not be in an environment where the people around you all are maximizing their wealth, but you can certainly learn about it through podcasts and through many other tools and reading books and really putting yourself in a position to start thinking like the people who are maximizing their resources. And I think that was just a fascinating study in the United States and how we are maximizing our resources, and that's how we're increasing GDP. And so as we're looking then at at this article, what we're looking at is how do we separate methods and objectives? So Les continues to talk through this idea that often if we just said what we want, we'll say things that are a method or they're, they're more like a means to get to what we really want. So we'll say things like, well, I want to have my house paid off. Well, really what I want is to have as much of my money free for me to be able to use and control. And I want to be in a position of not having to pay a lot of interest. And I want to be in a position where I have as much income coming from, I, I just want as much income as possible. Well, maybe that's through having cash flowing assets, but there's a difference between having a method or having an objective. So he said, he specifically said here, for example, having a paid off home is not an objective. It's a method that the client believes will give him what he wants. What he really wants is not a paid off home, but the security and peace of mind it gives him or the increased cash flow or happiness based on a f- spiritual f- philosophy. That's hard to say. Spiritual philosophy. We must not allow people to believe their preferred method is the objective in and of itself. It will inevitably lead to economic risk and loss every time. So then he talks about money, 
related to chess. And I think this is fascinating as well. I um, have a very extremely basic knowledge of chess. I can't even name all the pieces. I don't know how all of them move. Um, so I'm absolutely not going to pose as an expert on chess. But I do love the idea that there's a huge amount of strategy and pieces have different strengths based on their relationship to each other and their their um, location. So he talks about here, this is similar to the process employed by a master chess player. Rather than trying to predict the moves of the opponent, even if significant historical data on that person's past performance is available, your objective is to make moves that leave you in the ideal position, both in terms of safety and opportunity across the widest range of possible circumstances. So here's where we're really getting into the rubber meeting the road on this idea of certainty and uncertainty. You do not know what your future will hold. But the number one thing that you can do is position your life so that you can have the most safety and the most opportunity across the widest range of possible future outcomes. And that's really where the crux of this whole article is taking us in talking about what type of mindset do we want to establish in our financial life, not just about which products have the highest rate of return or which um, you know, which companies pay out less commissions so that more of it is going into my cash value if I'm looking at life insurance or, or which one has a higher dividend rate. Really, we're looking at how can we be in a position of the most safety and the most opportunity, meaning being able to take advantage of those opportunities no matter what happens across the widest range of possible circumstances. So really what we want to do then is identify what strategies are going to help you maximize your resources, maximize your protection, and maximize your opportunity. Where I want to go here next is in the article he talks about then, we want to be in a position that we are maximizing that protection. He, he then links it back to whole life insurance and says, what does this have to do with whole life insurance? And he says, everything from an economics perspective, a guaranteed dollar is worth more than a projected or non-guaranteed dollar. So why is he saying that? He's saying that if we have the possibility of having money in the future, that does not put you in a position of certainty. But if you know you have a guaranteed dollar, that does put you in a position of certainty in the future. He talks further on life insurance. And again, the reason he's even bringing life insurance into the picture is now he's talking about a product to achieve a specific strategy and objective to achieve a specific principle of dollars following value of being that producer and creating as much value in the world. So he talks about here, there's so few moving parts inside a whole life insurance contract that ownership of the contract provides a level of certainty that cannot be obtained in any other way. That certainty in turn allows people to make decisions external to life insurance, but with other resources that they never would have been able to make without whole life. Yeah, I, I think this, Rachel, from all the people that I've sat down with, I find this to be the most interesting thing. Um, and I, I talk about this when people say, well, why do you use this particular company? Why don't you use this particular company? Or why don't you use this particular company? And why don't, you know, and I say, really, uh, insurance is in, in its simplest um, form has to be very similar between every company. When you're just mm -hmm. talking about getting from point A to point B, why? Because insurance companies have to make good on their promises in the future. Well, there's only a few ways they can make good on those promises in the future, and that is to have 
very basic um, investments in into bonds or or very basic investments into um, certain uh, other type of investments like like real estate, so on and so forth. And those uh, uh, are only available. I shouldn't say only. Those are available to all the insurance companies. So they're basically fighting, not fighting, but they're all attracting the same investments, uh, bond investments. They're, they're not getting creative. The reason they're not getting creative is they can't get creative because they have to have that money available. And so when we're In order talking to make to, those guarantees, to make, and so there's a certainty there. They have to do that. So when a person tries to figure out, well, which, which company is giving a better dividend performance or which person is charging me more interest which person is um, um, actually their illustrations look better. That's not what you should be looking at. What you should be looking at is simply what can this company do for me when I need my money in times where I'm, I'm certain I need it. Mm-hmm. You know, so the customer service involved in it, I think, is, is much more important than all that. Because when you have that certainty that, one, your money's going to be there, which all insurance companies are going to be, more certain than any other economic uh, uh, entity in the world mm-hmm. because, of their, because of their philosophies, their objectives. Um, and then you want to be able to obtain that money at, in, in the best customer service possible. That's all you're really worried about. And then that frees you up to actually do other things to continue to use your resources in the best possible uh, framework as possible so that you can maximize your uh, production on the face of this planet. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I mean, he said it best, um, but he said, you know, everyone really has a risk tolerance of zero when we really look at it. And meaning that if, and a lot of people would probably say, no, 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 no. I have a high risk tolerance. I, I, I'll, I'm okay with losing a lot of money because I want to get a high return. I mean, really, it's we're not okay with losing money. We just think that we have to do it in order to get what we want. However, if you really ask somebody um, if it was possible, they would really want every economic choice they ever worked, they ever put in practice to work out perfectly. I mean, I think we all would want that. We would all want to always win. We would always want to know that we ended up getting exactly what we wanted. We don't want to have the possibility of not getting what we want. And so what's interesting here is that he even talks about um, the difference between some of the guaranteed versus um, more at-risk products or investments like variable universal life, mutual funds, IRAs, and 401ks. And here's what he says about that. He says, they may, those at-risk products or investments may work out great in hindsight but people will not feel safe making significant, bold choices in other areas of their life based on the expected performance of these assets because there's little certainty ahead of time. And I don't know if he said it in this article, but I mean, imagine you are, I think he probably did. He said something about this idea of, I mean, if you are trying to drive a road and you're in the broad daylight and you can see everything around you, it's easy to drive the speed limit. But if you have no visibility, say you had no headlights on your car, you think there's probably snow and ice on the road, you don't know where the other drivers are, with all of those unknowns, yeah, maybe the speed limit's 100 miles an hour, but you're absolutely not going to drive that because you don't feel safe knowing that there's a possibility of risk or a possibility of you having a fatal accident in that case. And so the more that we can see 
ahead of us, the more that we have that certainty of we know exactly how things are going to work out, the quicker we can move and the more bold action we can take in every area of our life. And that's really the value of having the certainty and stability of specially designed whole life insurance at the center of your financial portfolio. Yeah, you know, when we talk about, and and I'd like to quickly go back to the fact that, you know, a lot of people think that specially designed life insurance contracts within a whole life contract are complicated. It's amazing that they will put money into a mutual fund and that mutual fund might have 30 different companies in it and you don't even know how those companies are being run at that particular time and what economic factors are are taking place. I mean, there's a heck of a lot more variables going on in, in, in those mm-hmm. situations. And the other thing that people don't realize is, yes, I believe in the business cycle, you know, the boom and bust cycle. So, you know, things will go really well. They will get overheated. People will, will get too comfortable and then it will come back to the mean or below the mean and then it will, it will continue. The problem with using historical data that's uncertain or what you said earlier about taking risk so that we get this perceived uh, return is that we don't know when we are, where we are exactly in that boom and bust cycle and what things can actually affect that boom and bust cycle. So if I say to you, you know, yes, we, there's this perceived re- rate of return of whatever you want to say it is, 10%. But you want to do something with your money, let's say retire, but it's right, you retire right before or right after you have a correction that gets it back closer to the mean, then it doesn't make any difference what the average is over the course of your lifetime. In your little, your little time value right there, it did not work out for you. So it's uncertain. Yes, mm-hmm. are there other people that have actually poured money into, like Warren Buffett? always talks about, you know, um, there are people that are actually leaving Berkshire Hathaway right now because they feel like Warren Buffett is sitting on too much cash because Warren is actually saying, I need to sit on cash because when things get corrected, I want to take advantage of that. And there's other people now that say, are saying, I believe in Warren Buffett so much, I put my money into it, but now he's an idiot. He's not, he doesn't know what he's doing. So I'm going to pull my money out of that because I'm, I'm losing all the run-up to the stock market. And it's just amazing our, percept, our perception is in a little time snippet mm-hmm. of, of uncertainty. So I do agree with, um, with Les to say, hey, bring some certainty in your life. That will make you more comfortable to do other things that make you a great producer. And then that will maximize your objectives in your life. Bruce, you said that very well. I don't know if I can restate that, but you said something along the lines of put guarantees in place that will give you the ability to be more comfortable being a producer so you can maximize your resources. Is that what you said? That's exactly right. I mean, and, and, this, and this happens all the time. I mean, when I was earlier in my career, you know, um, and had more stresses in my life. Well, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure you and Lucas are the same way with having another baby, you know, you have another, you have another uncertainty in your life about your child. And you had a lot of uncertainties early on oh, absolutely. and there were stresses in it. But as, as the baby grows and you, you see more uh, certainty in that uh, life of that baby, you and Lucas relax more and more. Well, your economic life is the same way. 
if you can have your economic baby as a, as a person just starting out in life or a person who's now decided they're going to take control of their life and you, and you foster that baby, early on you're not really sure you're making the right decisions. But as the certainty of your decisions uh, continue to reinforce that, oh, well, I have, I have my basic needs taken care of. Now I can explore more and more and try to maximize my my baby's life. You and Lucas are the same, same way with the baby. So, you know, yes. you, you have your baby, you're, you're going to try to take care of its basic needs, which is just, frankly, just keeping it alive. Uh, <laughs> At first it was, yes. Yeah, keeping it alive and then, and then trying to maximize their educational growth and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, around age five or six, you're like, well, we didn't mess this up. So now let's see how we can maximize the baby's life like you have with Abby. You know, mm-hmm. and you just grow and grow and grow it. And that's all you're doing now. If people in the podcast will realize all you're doing is maximizing the resources for your child. Well, if you think about your economic life being your child and where you just can put some certainties in it and then help that child grow to maximize uh, uh, going forward, then it's no different than raising, you know, a child in human development. Bruce, that was profound. Well, once again, I don't know where I get these things. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I, I, don't, I love that. I don't, I don't sleep a lot because I think about these things um, uh, quite a bit. So your financial life is like a baby. We need to have the certainty, especially up front, so you can maximize your resources as it grows. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So let me, I want to wrap then in closing on the last point that he really brought this whole article to a crux. And he's talking about the real economic value of whole life insurance. And I want to read this word for word because it's really powerful. He said that the real economic value of whole life insurance is not in the rate of return on the cash value, nor in the ability to borrow at low rates, nor in the estate created for charity or heirs upon death, nor the tax treatment of the policy. So he's saying again, all those constructs around it, all the things that we talk about that are mechanics of whole life insurance, none of those are the real rate of return. Okay. So that was my own words. I'm going to jump back in his words. He said, rather, it lies within the world of economic possibility that opens up to the insured during his own lifetime because of the certainty he now has of the contract guarantees and the resulting choices he can make in other areas of life without fear, worry, or doubt. The insured quite literally becomes the beneficiary of his own life insurance policy during his own lifetime, perhaps many times over. So what he's saying is that it's not about just having a certain amount of cash value. That's not even the number one rate of return of a whole life insurance policy. It's not just in being able to get to your money. It's not even just in having the death benefit guarantee or the tax treatment and having tax advantages. Those are all great attributes of a whole life insurance policy by all means, yes. But what he's saying is that having the certainty of all of those things allows you then to open up your possibility to maximize every other option in your life. So you not only have the protection, you have the certainty to know that now I have capital that will be there for me and guaranteed in the future. And I can make a different choice with that capital or with my other resources. Now that I know I have this capital on the side, I can go into that business endeavor. I almost said adventure, venture endeavor. I'm combining them together. I can go into that business endeavor and I can take a risk with that because I know that once I get to the other side of the risk, it's going to be a lot more 
guarantees and certainty and I'm going to be in control of my financial future if I make this grow. But if you don't have the certainty in other areas of your life, then everything is kind of up in the air and unknown. It's kind of like a mobile. I, the first mobile I ever remember was laying in the dentist chair when I was a kid, looking up at this mobile that twirled above me. And I remember thinking of these like 25 different parts of it, that all of them moved. And if one became off balance, the whole rest of it went off balance as well. And it's kind of like that in our financial life. If everything is uncertain, we can't make any decisions with confidence. But when we do have certainty in at least that one area of our life, we have that protection and the certainty, we have those guarantees. Now all of the rest of our financial life has a lot more options. Once again, um, I've said this a bunch of times on podcasts. I hear Nelson's voice in my head. He's Bruce, interest rates don't matter. You know, he, he would say that over and over. And one of the Nelson's book, um, infinite banking concepts, uh, people becoming your own banker. Yeah. Yeah. The bit becoming the IBC book, becoming your own banker. Um, people complain to Nelson all the time. Nelson, you're showing rates of returns from the nineties, you know, where the dividend rates were a lot higher than that. You, why don't you revise this? And he says, because interest rates don't matter. I'm not trying to show people the rates of return. What I'm trying to show people is basically the certainty. Mm -hmm. uh, in this. And that's what's important. And I think I'd like to close my thoughts today. We talked about this earlier. I went to a speaker series last night with um, Zanny uh, Menton Bados, who's the uh, editor of The Economist magazine. And she talked about uncertainty. And I thought this was a great thing. And I'm just going to tell you what she said. She goes, if you don't think there's uncertainty in, in life, just think about the fact that just between five and 10 years ago, nobody could actually envision the fact that there would be Uber. You know, a person, a, a stranger would pull up to you and say, hey, would you like a ride with me? <laughs> or, or that you would open your house to a complete stranger as far as Airbnb. Or that the European uh, or the United Kingdom would actually pull out of, of the European U Union uh, or Brexit, or that China and the United States would actually get into a trade war. And the most uncertain one was that somebody that had no political experience whatsoever, uh, Donald Trump, would actually win the presidency of the country that is looked about in the nation, um, uh, excuse me, not the nation, the world as being a global leader. And so she says, if you don't think that that causes economists all over the world to try to figure out what's going to happen in the future, it, it just maddens them because they cannot predict what's even going to happen five years from now. So in, in closing then, for my view of closing this podcast is, what we have to do is have some certainty and control, and then we have to try to maximize all our resources to produce as much as we can for either ourselves and our families going forward. Absolutely, Bruce. That could not have been possibly better said. I think the uncertainty of our future, the best way we can counter that is to have as much certainty in our own choices as possible so that we can be in control. And, and Les McGuire closes his article saying, giving people the highest probability of achieving their true potential. That's what it does when you maximize certainty. So in closing, 
if you are interested in reaching out to implement privatized banking in your own life or use cash flow strategies to keep and control more of the money that you're bringing in, or if you want to look at alternative investments that can help you to increase your cash flow from assets that are not correlated with the stock market, we invite you to reach out to us and book a strategy conversation. That's at themoneyadvantage.com. You can get on our calendar right from our homepage. Now remember, in closing, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.